Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Well, all right, let's jump in now to Luke chapter 8, and here's what it says, verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Look at that. He went through every city and village. And this is an interesting thing that did not catch my attention until just, oh, maybe the last, well, about a year now, because it was about a year ago that uh, some of our leaders and I were fasting and praying. The Lord really opened our eyes to cities, cities. Now, we've seen it before and talked about it, given some emphasis to it, but oh, <laughs> God focuses on cities. We need to go after cities, pray over cities, confront the principalities of cities. And so Jesus went to every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom. Now that'll show you right there how important the proclaimed word of God is. Now they had the Old Testament scriptures, but those Old Testament scriptures needed to be proclaimed. And so here's Jesus going from city to city, village to village, proclaiming, preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, Peter, James, John, and so on. Verse 2, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, and then gives some examples like Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna. Well, I'm saying it was sort of a Hispanic accent. I don't know if it's Susanna or Susanna. And many others who provided for him from their substance. But notice it says, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits. We always talk about Mary Magdalene being healed of evil spirits, but notice it says certain women, and then it names three different ladies here. Okay, verse four. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. Here's the parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon, and as, soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has an ear, let him hear. Notice uh, this says, he cried. Not talking about weeping, but he cried out. He's, he kind of proclaimed out. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Verse 9, Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the, but to the rest it is given in parables. So notice, before answering his, their question, what does the parable mean, he explained to them why he's going to explain to them, but he didn't explain to the larger group. He said, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to those uh, who are outside, to those, uh, the rest, this one says, uh, it is given in parables that 
seeing, and he's quoting from Isaiah now, seeing they may see and hearing they may not understand. So in other words, when you give a story, but you don't really drive home the points of the story, then those who are hungry to learn can see the points. But those who are not all that hungry, then they just hear the story, but they really don't think about the implications of the story. And so Jesus said, basically, therefore, they're not held accountable as if they really heard the points of the story. Uh, they're not really held accountable for all those points. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. Now he's going to give explanation. The seed is the word of God. Boy, that's just as clear as it can get, huh? The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Boy, that'll tell you right there how people do or do not get saved. When the gospel is preached, when the word of God is taught, seeds is sown in people's hearts by the word of God. But he said the devil comes to take it away, lest they should believe and be saved. See, so the devil doesn't want us to believe the seeds, the words of God that we hear so that we can be saved. That word saved, yes, it would include being saved from sin and eternal damnation, but that could all, that, that also is applied to being healed. That's also applied to being saved from financial poverty and devastation and so on and so forth. And so we hear the word of God, whether it's about spiritual salvation, healing, uh, financial provision, relational blessing and such. We hear the promises of God and we believe and then it manifests in our lives. Well, the devil doesn't like that. So what does he do? He comes to take away the seeds so that we can't believe the seeds, can't believe the promises of God and receive them coming to pass in our lives. Verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while. So notice they believed, but for a while. See, Satan can't always get the seeds out of our heart or keep us from hearing. So sometimes we hear and it goes down, down into our hearts and he couldn't get it out fast enough, couldn't get us offended in strife, anger, in, in, uh, in anger, criticizing or whatever he uses, right, to just take it away quickly. So sometimes people receive the word of God with joy. They get excited about it, like praise God, they're excited. And these have no root who believe for a while. So... Believing is important initially, but it's important to keep believing, to keep believing. Stay on your faith. Stay with the word. And this is why it's good to keep saying the word over and over, to keep it on your mind, to keep it, keep your faith on the word of God. So it said, these ones on the rock believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. So this is what the devil does. If he can't get you to not have the word of God in your heart, or to not receive it right away, but you actually do receive it right away, well, now he's going to bring temptations against you. He's going to bring persecution and tribulation. Uh, Mark chapter 4 says about this same parable. Verse 14, Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So, if the devil can't get you with the persecution, the tribulation, 
with the temptations, then what is he going to do? He's going to try to sow other things in your life, like the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and pleasures of life get you distracted. So he, the devil is in essence saying, I'll plant some seed of my own in your heart and let that seed grow up like weeds and choke out the word. So it says in verse uh, 15, but the ones that fell on good ground, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. See, if you can keep God's word, God's promises in your heart, keep declaring them, keep believing them, they will grow up and choke out whatever else is in your heart because you focused on the word. And then he goes on to say, you keep it and bear fruit with patience. So yes, this does apply to salvation, but it's not just about salvation. It's about bearing fruit in your life specifically seeing the promises of God manifest in your life. Okay, verse 16. No one, when he is lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Notice Jesus is still talking about the word of God because Psalm 119, 130 says the entrance of his word gives light. So Jesus is saying once this light comes, then you don't want to hide this light, this light of the truth of God's word. Verse 17, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not become known or be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. Pay attention to how you're listening. Uh, <laughs> have you ever had, had somebody talk to you like my wife has before and they could tell you're not listening to them? And my wife will say, are you listening to me? <laughs> because... I may be hearing her, and if somebody says, did you hear your wife talking? Yeah, I heard that she was talking, but I don't know what she said. Why? My mind was on something else. So Jesus is saying, look, when you're hearing the word of God being preached, taught, pay attention. You have to pull your thinking into focus and listen to what is being said. So he said, take heed how you hear for whoever has, and I would say this is has the word of God, has ears to hear the word of God. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Okay, verse 19. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So he's not trying to belittle or embarrass his mother and his brothers, but he's trying to let us know his value is not to give preference to his own biological family. But he said, my brothers and my mother are those who hear the word of God and do it. They're obedient to the word of God. Verse 22, And now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Well, in Mark chapter 4, it makes it clear this is the same day as the parable of the sower. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water. The boat was filling with water. And were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, 
and they ceased, and there was a calm. In Mark chapter 4, it says a great calm, the Greek word being megas, a mega calm. Well, it also used that same word for the storm. So there was a mega storm, and then when Jesus rebuked the storm, there was a mega calm. Isn't that great? Uh, and then, notice this, verse 25, but he said to them, his disciples, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Well, he'd been teaching them about the power of God's word, reaping a harvest by focusing on the word of God and such. Well, <laughs> he said, let us cross over to the other side. But they didn't lay hold of that and saying, we're crossing over to the other side. So they began to be afraid that the circumstances were going to sink them. He said, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, one another who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. They noticed that the elements obeyed him. He would speak, and the storm stopped. The water calmed down. And he, like a very well-trained dog, the elements of the earth responded to his word. But notice Jesus said, where's your faith? See, Jesus expected that they could have stood up and, and said, hey, Jesus said we're crossing to the other side. Be quiet, be still, <laughs> and we're going. And uh, we know that because Jesus said in John 14, 12, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. So Jesus taught his disciples that they too could indeed do the same works that he did by faith. Okay, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man, from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes. Can you imagine this scene here? He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. These demons knew <laughs> that Jesus had the authority to cast them out and to send them to places they didn't want to go. Verse 29, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by demons into the wilderness. So notice, these demons were driving this man into the wilderness and giving him supernatural strength to be able to break chains. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he's talking to this demon inside of him. And he said, legion, because many demons had entered him. So this one demon that was speaking out with the man's voice really represented a legion of demons. Uh, and it may or may not have been a legion. That was what they were, they called themselves, so to speak. But a legion would be like 6,000. And uh, it could have been that many, but uh, likely, like we would say of a whole group of people, man, it's all, it's a crowd. Well, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily the specific number that would be understood as a crowd, but nonetheless, it, it could have been. We don't know for sure. What we do know is that there were uh, a couple of thousand, I think it says, uh, pigs that ended up running violently, violently down the slope and into the sea. And so it really could have been that many. But 
I would say likely it wasn't exactly the number of a legion. That's just what they were called. So, verse 31, And they begged him, Jesus, that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who had fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out, talking about the people from the city and the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus, watch this, and found the man, the man who was demonized, and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, for the first time that they could remember, likely. And they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he had been demon-possessed, uh, was healed. Then the whole multitude outside of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them. You would think they would say, let us bring our sick out to you so that you can heal them. But this freaked them out. And so they asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him, this uh, formerly demonized man begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And when he went his way, excuse me, and he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done. Another gospel says throughout the Decapolis, which was really 10 cities. Verse 40, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, as Jesus went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those around him said, Master, the multitude throngs and press, and press you excuse me, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reasons she had, uh, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Can you imagine getting a hold of his garment and you, you felt the healing happen in your body? Okay, verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Don't you love that Jesus didn't say, I made you well? Well, he did. The power that was on Jesus made her well. But Jesus knew that she was the one that initiated it. Now, of course, you walk into a room and you flip the light switch on and the light comes on. Well, the light switch did not actually provide the power. The power company, you know, the electric company provided the power. 
But the light switch is what released the power that was available to actually turn the lights on. And in the same way, this woman with her faith triggered the power of God that was available for healing. And Jesus wanted her to know that and said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Uh, so if, if the lights all of a sudden went on and we said, who turned the lights on? We're not talking about the electric company. We're wondering who flipped that switch, not who really provided the power. See the difference? And Jesus knows that we need to understand that we have the, the right, the privilege with our faith of flipping the switch to see the power of God that's already available released. Okay, verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Now watch this. Verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe. Words are so powerful. So when these words were spoken, your daughter's dead, Jesus wanted to immediately speak words. It's like these words went into Jairus' ears and were going down into his heart. And of course, you know what happens when you hear words like that. Oh, they just slam into your heart. Jesus, as if chasing those words with his words, said immediately, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Jesus used his words to go down into Jairus' ears and to arrest and seize those words that would bring such devastation to his faith. Remember, he spoke faith. He said, if you'll come back, let's see what he said up here. He said, uh, let me go back because I want you to see the faith that he spoke. It says, behold, there was a man, Jairus, verse 41, and he was made ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age. Oh, it doesn't say in this particular chapter, but in, for example, Mark chapter, I think it's in chapter five. He said, uh, my daughter lies at the point of death, but come and lay your hand on her and she will be healed and she will live. So he spoke words of faith, but now these words saying your daughter's dead are coming into his heart. Well, Jesus just taught us the parable of the sower. Sydney. And what does it mean? Well, Satan comes to take away those seeds. And so the man has faith now, but these words of death, your daughter's dead, are now going to come and eat away, deteriorate, dissolve the faith that he had. Jesus knew it. So he chased those words down by saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. Oh, that's an encouraging word. And as far as we know, Jairus didn't speak another word, didn't speak a word of doubt or unbelief. He just went with Jesus. Verse 51, when he, Jesus, came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. Notice Jesus speaking faith. He knows she's dead, but Jesus is refusing to acknowledge death. And he's saying she's sleeping. Well, when somebody's sleeping, that means they're going to wake up. Verse 53, and they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead, but he put them all outside. I think this is important for atmosphere. Boy, you need an atmosphere of faith, not an atmosphere of unbelief. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, 
arise. Oh, the force of that spoken word. Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned. Well, returned from where? <laughs> well, because this is before Jesus was raised from the dead, then we believe it was Abraham's bosom. See, in that cavern of the earth uh, that had a gulf between the Hades torment flame side and the side where Abraham, uh, Lazarus, the man that Jesus describes in the 16th chapter of this book, uh, and all those who believed in the Messiah, had, who had gone before, who were waiting for the Messiah to actually come and pay the price. So her spirit returned back into her body, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat, and her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, what it, was it that Jesus didn't want people to be healed? No, he wanted people to be healed. But what he didn't want is for them to try to come and make him king and do something with the, the ministry that he had that was not for this time, would be for the second coming. Well, all right. Another great chapter. We learn every time we open up God's word, we learn something. God speaks to us about our own situations. And I hope that happened for you today. I'll see you tomorrow for chapter nine. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.